Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Awesome. Why don't we thank the, the band, let's thank our MCs, our host teams, all the amazing people to help lift around. Why don't we properly thank them this morning? It is amazing. Hey, if you are um, not sure about fasting, honestly, you can come talk to us. We do have some info sheets uh, in the foyer as well, and so you can grab those. If you want to know a little bit more about fasting, the different fasts you can do, we put some suggestions together, and that's available outside. Uh, But we are about to close our Imago Day series. So for the final time this year, I'll be asking you, what do you think Imago Day means? Do you know what Imago Day means? It means the image of God. It's Latin for image of God. It is an understanding that we have all been created in the image of God. We read about that in, in the creation account in Genesis. And why it's so important and why we have been looking into this is because when we know our design, we know our purpose. When we know how God has created us, we know what we are meant to be doing of our lives. We we understand our identity so much better. And so over the last few weeks, we have been talking about this. Five different aspects so far. Today, we're going to be talking about the final aspect. And, um, and, And it's not exhaustive because the Bible is full of amazing information uh, and, and the design that God has built into us. But hopefully we've given you something to think about. Hopefully this is a journey that you can now take on by yourself uh, or, you know, um, in community to, to discover and to discuss. Meet with people, talk to people, ask them, hey, hey you know, I've been reading this in the Bible uh, and I'm thinking about how this relates to my identity and how God has created me. Yeah, talk to people about it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be Great. And I'm a little bit sad that we are finishing off this morning because I have really enjoyed this. Uh, But the good fun part is that I have uh, finished my bulk of preaching for a little while. And uh, Pastor Beck will be preaching next week. And then the week after, we have Joshua Kemp preaching. So that's going to be fun. And then uh, Pastor Beck comes back on for a third week. So I get a three-week break. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. So anyone want a coffee? We'll go out and it's going to be amazing. No, it's going to be a good amount of time for me to actually get onto some stuff I need to. But before we get into the topic that I want to talk about today, I want to um, revisit something that I mentioned quite briefly last week. And I want to talk about health. Because our community is becoming more and more aware of health. We, we see this all over the place. We see physical health, emotional health, mental health, relational health, any kind of health that you can think of. Hair health, which obviously I've not been doing very well at and um, is slowly uh, leaving me, but do we actually understand what health is? You know, we had a bit of a discussion about this at, in one of our lift groups, and I asked, what, what is health? And, and it's kind of hard to define, because we kind of know what health is, but do we actually articulate what health is? And what I've noticed is that we often think about health in terms of the lack of disease, the lack of problems, the lack of illnesses, right? When I don't have those things, I am healthy, right? But is that really all that there is? Isn't there more to us than the lack of something? And, and, and so as we kind of think about health, then is it just a feeling? I feel healthy today. I woke up feeling, not so much today, um, 
I didn't feel very healthy waking up, but you know, you can wake up and sometimes go, oh, I feel great. That means that I am healthy. But is health a feeling? Is, is, is there some kind of feeling check? Oh yeah, healthy today, you're good, and off you go. What is health? And I was thinking about this because health is a big word for me. Uh, I've, I've decided that I'm not gonna be pursuing success because success is out of my control. It depends on so many other factors. I wanna pursue health, but I've had to get to a point of trying to understand what health is in order to pursue it. And what I have arrived at and what God put on my heart a little while ago is that health is the condition of being able to grow to your maximum potential, right? So health is the condition of being able to grow to your maximum potential. When you have a young child, and last night we went for Josh's 21st party, and uh, just to mention that it is Josh's birthday week, I don't know, for the 50th millionth time over the last couple of days, you are 21, we celebrate you. Uh, but one of the cool things is that whenever someone does one of these parties and they get a whole bunch of people there, uh, Beck and I have a bit of a transport back in time because we see uh, people that we used to know really well, pastor, be involved with in their lives, and, and, and it's kind of cool sad. It's cool sad because it's cool to see how much they have grown. It's sad to see how much they have grown because it kind of reminds me of how old I am. Um, but it, you know when you see a young person, uh, maybe they're going through puberty and they grow, right? And what health is for them is probably gonna be a bit different because you wanna ensure that they have all the nutrition that they have in that season in order to be able uh, to reach their maximum potential, right? You don't feed them junk the whole time even though that's what they want. You actually give them healthy, nutritious food in order for them to grow. But then you also have to, it's not just giving them nutritious food, but there's the amount to consider because of how their body is going through a season of rapid growth and it's burning and using up all that energy and the nutrition in order to grow, right? It is not just a feeling. There is a sense that health might have a snapshot of your moment, but it also is dependent on where you are going. That got really quiet. Did I just say something that offended everyone in the room? Health is not just what you are feeling in the moment or what you are knowing in the moment, it is also about where you are going. So for example, last week I gave the uh, example of my voice. And I can wake up or I can manage my health to be able to preach today. So let's say this whole week, I'm managing my voice. You know, last, last night we were at this party, I made sure that I had enough water because I know that when I'm out in the cold on a Saturday night, um, in an outdoor setting, uh, my voice can dry up and the next day is gonna get really rough and I'm not gonna be able to preach. And so I can have this snapshot moment of ensuring that I was healthy enough in my voice to preach today. But if that is my only thing that I'm thinking about, then I can wreck my voice today because that's the only thing that I'm aiming towards. But because 
I know that I'm going to be preaching and speaking and using this amazing tool that God has given me for the next 30, 40, 50 years, however long God has got for me. My health is not just about today. It is about what I'm doing today that impacts my tomorrow. Oh my gosh, you guys are going to have to help me out. Is this like, it's just so good that you're so quiet? Or is it just that it's too cold and you have no idea what you're doing here? I'm kind of confused. There's a bit of laughter. All right, you're warming up. We'll get there. But I want us to think about health. When we think about the design of God for our lives, it comes down to health. When we understand the design of God for our lives, we are able to put ourselves in a trajectory that gets us there. And we can measure our health based on whether we are getting closer to that end point or not. Yes? So let's say I want to run a marathon. I never want to run a marathon. But let's say one day God put this amazing desire in my heart to run a marathon. I don't know why he would. Um, I'm more of a body, a weightlifter, body shape. Running is Apparently I run like a box. I don't know what is it about that. I was just trying to warm up as well this morning. But let's say, let's say God put my heart to run a marathon. My health in this moment might be okay, but in the light of a marathon, it's not okay. I'm going to have to do some things in order to run a marathon. And this is what the Bible says about this. Because we are a church and we come back to the Bible for our truth. And Luke 14, 28 to 30, it says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. This is the thing that I get a little bit worried about in today's day and age, where this whole sense of individualism and this sense of being in the present and the now, that's good because we don't want to forget to be in the present. But I'm wondering how many of us are leveraging our present in order to get to the future or how many of us are actually spending our present and never getting to our future. You see, that is not health. It is not health to enjoy today at the expense of tomorrow. It is not health to give in to your feelings today and giving up on your dreams for the future. Health is about understanding today, enjoying today, but also having a viewpoint for the future. And that is so important when we understand the design and the call of God on our lives. We are no longer simply just living for the present. We are living in the present with an eye on eternity. And that is what we are meant to be doing with our lives. And that is why on 7th of July, when we have our anointing service, that's just in three Sundays' time. We will be meeting uh, up in um, uh, Centerpoint Church in Maddington. We've hired a building from 5 to 6.30, although they will let us have it for the whole night if that's what it takes. And our eldership, we are praying and we are getting ready. What we're going to do is that we're going to pray for every single person that comes. I don't care whether they come to lift or not. If they make the time to be there, we are going to pray for them. But we're not simply just praying for you. We are going to anoint you with oil as the Bible teaches, and we are going to wait for a word from God for you. For the point of that is not just to make you feel good in the moment, but it's to give you a sense of the design that God has on your life in order that you can live a healthy life. That is our intention. You know, I love anointing services. It is amazing. There's something about this year, though. 
as we have started to pray about it, it feels like this is a significant year. I believe that there are many people in this room, many people in our church that are going through a transition season. And there's a little bit of confusion going on in your life. You're trying to learn how to manage all that is going on. Don't do it without God. Do it primarily with God, for God, and things are going to line up. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. Beck and I are currently walking out a prophetic word that was given to us mid-last year. And it's a hard word. The word was that we are going to need to take up certain things that we thought were all good in this church, examine it and put it back in the wall of the church because we need to set it up for the future. It sounded all good and well, but the way that God is doing it is somewhat painful. It feels like we failed sometimes. It feels like we've let people down. It feels like we don't really know what we're doing. But then when we got that prophetic word a year ago, it's given us confidence that we are actually on the right track, that God is actually in the middle of this. So I would love to have you guys, every single person at this anointing service. It is going to be amazing. But I also want you to hold in mind this sense of what health is about as we talk about our topic for this morning. And what we're going to talk about is our human design for connection. So if you want a title, um, this message uh, today is called The Flow On Effect. Flow On Effect. And we're going to be reading from Psalm 133. It's only got three verses in it. Find it in your Bibles. If you've got your phone, you can grab it. Highlight this verse, this chapter. It is an amazing chapter full of amazing truth. Let me read it to you. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Before I get any further, I just want to pray. Can everyone just close your eyes for a moment? God, I thank you that your grace is here this morning. I thank you that your spirit is moving and you are wanting to speak. I pray that we have open hearts and open ears, each and every single one of us. I pray that you give us something to repent of, something to change because you are wanting to bring transformation into our lives. You are helping us transform from glory to glory into the design that you have made us with. We thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I've been on a bit of a, a journey over the last year. And part of this journey is a journey of understanding my emotions and understanding how I operate, especially relationally. And, um, and what, part of this discovery process is that I've been going to a, a counselor, a psychologist, and I, I believe that it is something... Um, that has really been helping me to uncover the deeper things in my life that I didn't know were there. And in particular, we started talking about this interesting aspect of my life. And we started talking about how Nate does not know when he has been relationally hurt. Again, wow, silence this morning. I thought there would be at least a, oh, or like a, I don't know, what do people say? Anyway, so I started this conversation with my psychologist saying, hey, I don't know when I've been relationally hurt, sometimes till a few months later. 
And, um, and then when I realize it, um, I've already done a whole bunch of damage because of this hurt that has been deep within my soul. And knowing that my job is actually a people job. Um, as much as I'm preaching to you from this um, stage, um, far more than this, I'm meeting up with people, I am dealing uh, with teams and, and groups and individuals, and it's good and well. But often when you work with people, deal with people, interact with people, there is a high possibility that you will get hurt. It is just a fact of life. If you, um, if you are in a family, you have been hurt. Don't you all go holy and me and say, my family's not like that. You know what's going on? You need to see a psychologist because you got problems. And I ain't one of them. And, um, and, and I saw my psychologist and we started talking about this, uh, this whole idea that I don't know when I've been hurt. And we started to go on this uh, journey into my journey, uh, into my soul and, and to see what was sitting there. And, and, and for the first time, and this was literally end of last year, maybe start of this year, uh, but I made this discovery that shook me to the core of my being. And the discovery was that I, Nate, Nate Four, deeply desire connection and relationships. I made this discovery. It was the first time I had ever admitted that in my whole entire existence. Some of you are really like looking at me like, where's this going? And how the heck is this guy my pastor? Well, what I had understood about my life is that relationships are fragile and easy to break. And when a relationship breaks, especially with someone that is important to me, it hurts like hell. And... Because I didn't understand that there was this deep desire for relationship, all I understood was that hurt sucks. And so what I did, without even knowing that I was doing this, is I don't want to feel hurt and I don't want to feel connected to people at a deep level. I'll do it a little pastoral care thing. Hi, I'm Nate. Welcome to Lyft. It's so good to see you. I'll remember your name sometime, maybe. Where's my phone? Better put that name in because I got to remember it because that's the job of a pastor to remember names. But there wasn't necessarily a deep heart connection. And so I had shut down that part of me that knew how to feel hurt. And even deeper than that, I shut down my ability to build deep relationships. And so in the midst of all of that, and I discovered that and I said, I desire relationships. It was like my eyes were open. It was like something changed on the inside of me that said, you're seeking something that is actually noble and good. I started to question at first, it's like, is this okay to want relationship? And I'm going to point out a couple of things in the Bible that showed me that relationship is actually healthy and good and well. It is something that God has created us with, that we have been created for connection and so I, as I started to see God's design and His purpose for relationship in my life, I could pursue health in this area of my life. And so I had this friend, 
I had a friend who I've been um, journeying with in, uh, for a couple of years, and, and basically how we started to get in touch was that he uh, had taken over the senior leadership of a church, and any kind of transition of that uh, level of leadership always uh, brings up so many issues, and it's something that I have personally uh, have some experience in. Um, and, and so I decided to uh, help this guy out. So I, I said, you want to catch up from time to time? We can get a coffee. You can talk about all the stuff that is going on. And so we were doing that for a couple of years. And then towards the end of last year, he had actually found his feet really well. He was doing amazingly. He had this confidence that he didn't have at the start of the journey. And he was starting to lead from a place where he was allowing God to do amazing things in his life. I could see that life come in. And do you know what? Nate, who doesn't always want relationships, said to himself, I'm not needed anymore. And so I was like, okay, we're done here. Contract is done. I've done my good deed. File it away. See you later. It's been nice knowing you. That's what was happening in my heart. And I was a good thing that God orchestrated all of this stuff so that I knew at that time that I desired relationship. And so I decided to catch up with this fella again. And I didn't know what to do because there was nothing to fix. I had no advice to give. He was doing well. And then I realized, why not I share what's going on in my life? And I was like, I don't want to. That's not how Nate operates. He works himself out. But I started to share, you know, bro, this is what I've been going through and this is the journey that I've been on. And the moment I started sharing, I started sharing. And I started sharing. And it was like this thing didn't want to stop. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Why am I this sappy, weird fella that I don't know? Because I was finding health. I didn't know that that's how health felt like. Old health for me was that I didn't feel pain. Old health was that I didn't feel hurt. Or wasn't placed in situations where I could get hurt. New health was that I need brothers and sisters around me that are going to journey with me, that are going to know my weaknesses, that are going to know the things in me that they're going to journey with. They're not going to judge. They're not going to try to make me something that I'm not, but they're going to love me. And they're going to ensure that when I'm 65 and I'm retiring, although I don't know if I'll ever retire, but whenever that time comes, that it doesn't come with a place of I'm hurt and I hate the church. It's going to come with a place of I've journeyed to the best of my ability. I've done all that I can to love people with all that I've got. And I need people in my journey to help me get that way. And so that's what I started to find out, that God actually has a design for relationship in each and every single one of us. And, and, and one of the things that I found in the Bible is James 5.16. It says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I used to think that the Catholics got this right in the, in the sense that they had these confessional booths and, and, and it's completely uh, supposed to be confidential and it's and, 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 and is kind of anonymous. You kind of just say a thing and, and you get the blessing and then you are uh, uh, released from your sin and off you go. But the more I look into this passage, I'm like, shouldn't it be confess your sins to God? Shouldn't it be go to God, repent, and you'll receive your healing? 
What happens when I say this to someone else? The whole point of this verse is because we are meant to be open about our weaknesses to one another. We are meant to learn how to be in a space. I found a guy who's not going to judge me for my weaknesses. I found a friend who is going to support me when I'm down. I found a friend who in the midst of my stress, in the, in the midst of my uncertainty, he said that he's praying for me. He sends me random text messages every now and then say, how are you going, bro? And he doesn't let me just say good or fine. He says, how are you really going? Are things going well? He celebrates with me and he cries with me. Why? Because I've confessed and I found something more. That is the design for relationship that God has placed in our lives. So are we meant to just kind of have any relationship and, and this kind of relationship with everyone? As we try to fulfill this desire for relationship, do we just kind of find someone who's willing to listen? No, the Bible has a lot to say about this as well. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And, and, and this was written in the context of, of a place where there was this false gospel that was sweeping through uh, the, the, the place, the church in Corinth. And, and Paul was saying to these people, be careful about the values and the beliefs that are going to take you away from the gospel. You see, the kind, this kind of open, honest, uh, supportive relationship must be done in the context of God's community, of a community that understands the grace of God, the community that understands the principles of God. And therefore, when we look in Psalm 133, like we did, the first verse says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It doesn't say how good and pleasant it is when people live together in unity. It says when God's people. What does it mean by God's people? It means that people who actually have their lives set on where God is going, what God is doing, His design, His plans, and His purposes. And I'm going to show you why that is so important. It's so important because of the rest of Psalm 133. David wrote this psalm and he writes, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Um, as an example today, I've got Aaron. Aaron? No, there's no Aaron in this church. So maybe this chapter doesn't... Oh, sorry, guys. We don't get this blessing because we don't have Aaron. Who the heck is Aaron? Why do we need to bathe him in oil? Does he have lice? What is going on? Well, Aaron in this... Do I need to give like little... I always say stuff I shouldn't say. Who's Aaron? Well, Aaron in this verse actually represents, is talking about the first high priest of Israel. In Leviticus 8, 10 to 13, it says this, Then Moses took the anointing oil, i got a little picture that will be coming up. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it. The tabernacle was this structure um, that um, the Israelites built while they were going in the wilderness to represent the dwelling place of God. And, and so they consecrated the tabernacle um, and they sprinkled oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils. And in verse 12, Leviticus 8, verse 12, he said, uh, he writes, he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So Aaron in Psalm 133 was representing 
a high priest. The high priest had a very specific role. The high priest represented the people to God and represented God to the people. It was this mediator, this middle person. But what David was writing about was that this anointing oil that was poured over Aaron, this head of the people, was not just meant for the head, but it was meant to flow on through. When we live in unity under the correct head, we experience the flow on of the anointing from that head. This is a very important thing for us to realize because I've realized that that doesn't just happen with Christianity. This happens with whatever relationship you tie and unite yourself to. You will always experience the flow on of whatever is on their life onto your life. And what happens in the Christian community or what is supposed to happen is that we are supposed to be set apart. When this oil is poured on Aaron, it was to consecrate him. What does consecrate mean? It means to set apart. It means to look different. It is to live his life completely for God's purposes. And what happens when we unite is that we are saying, we are saying that we are completely coming under that consecrating work that God wants to do. That is what unity looks like. But Psalm 133 goes on to give another analogy, which I really love. It said, it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now I've got another picture that comes up. Who is Hermon and what is going on? Well, Hermon, if you can see in this picture, is this mountain range that is in the background. You can even see that there's a little bit of snow capping the top of it. Hermon is in the northern part of Israel. It's in as far north as you can go, and it's also the highest mountain range of Israel. And what... Um, and then from there, it says, as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is known as the mountain of God. It is where God kind of speaks to the people. But figuratively, in the rest of Scripture, when it says Mount Zion, it, it tends to represent, rep, represent Jerusalem. Jerusalem is set on Mount Zion. It's the mountain of God. That's where God dwells amongst the people. Now, Mount Zion was south, quite a, a distance south of Mount Hermon. And what happens in Israel, in case you didn't know, Israel is in the Middle East. The Middle East is a desert. It is dry as. You know, if you go into the middle of Australia, how dry it is, yeah, that would kind of be the same thing as the Middle East. It is a desert. And so the land would not experience much water, much rain for most of the year. And that's what they depended on. But there was something spectacular about Hermon. See, Hermon being the highest peak and in the northern boundary of Israel, it was close to the Mediterranean. And every day, as the sun beat down on the Mediterranean Sea, the water would evaporate. And then what Mount Hermon would do is that it stands there and it gets nice and cold at night. That's why there is snow. And what happens when there's the coldness there is that dew begins to form. And so what was actually taking place, geographically speaking, is that Israel is actually a really fertile land. 
It is crazy fertile. Remember when the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, they were saying that they had grapes, that they had needed two blokes to carry on a pole as they were going in. Where did this come from in the desert? It was because of the Jew of Hermon. I was reading a rabbi writing about this, uh, and he said that the Jew of Hermon was actually so important for the growth and the fruitfulness of the land. This, uh, fallen, uh, this Jew would make this whole place able to grow life and sustain life. But one of the things that we've done in our translation, because it kind of fits a bit better, it says it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. But a better translation from the Hebrew, according to this rabbi, was that it is the Jew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. It's not as if it is the Jew of Hermon. It is this flow-on effect. When we sit under a mountain that reaches to the heavens, that knows how to capture the Jew of heaven, we are then able to experience the same fruitfulness. We are then able to experience the same kind of life inside of us. This is the flow-on effect that I'm talking about. You see, in our Western culture, so often we talk about praying to God and having faith for miracles, for sustenance, for provision, for healing, and, and all these amazing things. And, I, and when I read this scripture, I felt God saying to me, what if that healing that you have been waiting for happens when you come under the flow-on effect of the church? What happens if that breakthrough that you have been looking for comes when you come under the flow-on effect of the grace of God on His church? What happens if our community was so united that we, we formed this place where we allow God's grace to flow through the whole of our body rather than actually waiting for an individual breakthrough. What happens if we learn how to connect our hearts and our souls to learn how to be consecrated as one for God's purposes? Maybe then the Jew of Hermon would fall on us and allow us to be fruitful even in dry seasons, even in desperate situations, even in a place where we find ourselves struggling for water. There is always enough when we learn how to live in the flow on. Of unity. That is why us as a church, we need to discover this level of unity. Because I reckon that sometimes we treat the church as an add-on to our lives. It's the first thing that we get rid of when our lives get busy. Oh, I guess, you know, right now my spiritual health is going good. I don't, I can just listen to the podcast. But we forget to connect we forget to support. We forget to get that flow on happening through us. We isolate. And then months later, suddenly you find yourself dry and you're like, what the heck is going on? Has God left me? Has God forsaken me? No, you've forsaken your place. You've left a place where you receive the flow on. You know, this is another way that the Bible talks about this is in joking. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, it says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? 
Remember, this is uh, written to the church in Corinth. Uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, there was this false gospel that was running through the whole place. And, and Paul starts to talk to these believers who had started to interact and start to uh, want to understand how to world things and etc. etc. And, and Paul tells them, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we use this verse very often in Christianity, and we talk about this as, um, as, as you know, Christian people don't date non-Christian people, Christian people don't marry non-Christian people and all that kind of stuff. It is true, but in a much, much wider sense, this is talking about relationship. Why did Paul choose to use the word yoke? Especially for us today, many of us have never seen a yoke before. A yoke was an instrument that brought two oxen together. You see, in an agricultural society where, where these fields needed to be plowed, they would put a yoke on an ox, a strong why are people laughing? <laughs> well, I said something wrong. No, keep going. Sorry, I'm a bit distracted today. And, and so we put a yoke on an oxen, this implement that would sit on its neck, and so the, the oxen would pull and plow the land. What they discovered, amazingly, is that one ox would be able to do a certain amount of work, but when they put two ox together, two oxen, two oxes, two oxen together, it would not just do twice as much, it had an exponential multiplication effect. So what was happening is that these oxen, when they were paired together, they were able to go further, farther, farther, further, longer. Same thing. Amazingly, there was this multiplication synergy effect. But when they paired the oxen wrong, there was a negative effect. When they got a strong ox and a weak ox, the weak ox wasn't able to keep up with the strong ox. And so even though they were meant to go in this direction, the oxen would veer to the side of the weaker ox because the stronger ox would keep pulling, but the the weaker ox would struggle and they will soon be going in circles. They would lose their ability to go where they needed to go. And more than that, the stronger ox would fail over time because it was trying to correct and pull further in the right direction. But because it wasn't just him pulling his weight, but he was pulling this weaker oxen along the way, his energy was depleted even faster than if he was alone. Paul used this analogy when he talked about the kinds of people that you unite yourself with. See, this yoking is a uniting. What does this uniting look like? It's a uniting of heart. It's a uniting of soul. It's a uniting of beliefs. It's a uniting of values. Basically, it's whoever you are opening yourself up to. So the question that we have got today isn't so much isn't so much whether you are yoking yourself to anyone but it's more who you are yoking yourself to because I believe that every single one of us have been created with a design to connect all of us do even when I did not acknowledge that I was doing it I was connecting and I was giving my heart into different relationships. 
I have a best mate that I've known for more than half of my life and we are still best mates and that happened before I knew that I wanted relationship. Why? Because there was something in me that always desired connection. So the question isn't so much whether we are yoking ourselves to people, but the question is who are you yoking yourself to? You see, as I mentioned, there is a flow-on effect whenever you yoke yourself to someone else. It's not whether there is a flow-on effect. There is a flow-on effect. It's just what kind of flow-on effect you are experiencing. Are you experiencing peace in your life? Or is there turmoil, anxiety, worry, stress? It might be a personal thing. It might be something gone inside. But more than likely, I guarantee you, there are people in your life that are placing expectations that shouldn't be there. But you've opened up your heart to their expectations. You've opened up your heart to their value system. You've opened up your heart to what they want to see. And because they're not chasing after God the way that hopefully the church is, and I'm, I understand that we don't always get it right, but we're trying. But when you sit under that kind of flow-on effect, you get what is on their life. Observe that. Am I saying you can't be friends with non-Christians? No. But are you taking on their values? Are you taking on their direction? What is going on on that front? I want to say this carefully. But there's some people in our culture that are set up to be seen and respected in your life. Parents, teachers, maybe even pastors. Examine what is on their life and ask yourself, do you want what is on their life flowing on to your life? I'm being serious about this. If you don't like what's on my life, leave because you will be wet by my flow-on effect. Honestly, some of you have amazing parents, but some of you might be in a place where your parents are not in such a healthy place. Are you allowing their flow on to affect your life? Some of you have well-meaning teachers, but they do not know how to speak to you. And there's a flow on that happens. The number of people that now that I'm part of um, our state movement, uh, I meet a lot of people who are hurt by churches, hurt by pastors. Because we're all people. What is the flow on that you have been putting yourself under? Perhaps they're friendships that because you went through high school together, you're bonded for life. What's the flow on of that? I've counseled people when I told them to leave certain friendship groups behind because those friendship groups loved you for who you were, but they don't love you for who you are becoming. What is the flow-on effect that is touching your life? You know, one of the things as a Christian that we get to do, we don't always have to be the strong ox. In fact, the best place to be is to be a weak ox tied to a strong ox who can take my weaknesses. 
And we find that in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And this is Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How beautiful that Jesus would allow himself to be so united and bonded to us even in our weakness and our inability to pull in the right direction. And he would be bonded to us to the point of death so that we may have life. And now that he has sacrificed himself for us, he is resurrected from the dead and he is alive and he is now more than able to take our weaknesses. The number one relationship we should be united to and sitting under its flow on is Jesus. That's why we sing the songs that we do to remind us that I don't need to listen to that person who tells me that I'm not good enough. I don't need to listen to that person who tells me that I'm broken and I will never make it because I have a God who would die for me. I'm living under that flow on. Do you know why we need unity in the church? So that we all remind ourselves whenever things are getting tough. You know, one of the questions that we get from time to time is, what is our pastoral care system? And and honestly, yes, we are in a place where we are observing and working out when we need to structuralize and systematize certain things. But you know what's in Bex and in my heart? Is that as a community, we are so open about our weaknesses that before it needs to be logged in some pastoral care system, there's already 15 different people that are saying, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm giving to you, I'm supporting you. Isn't that what the church is supposed to look like? Rather than boxes that we are ticking and saying we are doing all the good stuff. I don't care if we never know half the good that happens in this church as long as it's happening. I don't need to be involved in every single situation that takes place because there are better counselors, there are better parents, there are better people out there in certain areas. I'm pretty good at certain things too. I know my place. I know my place. But are we living like that, Lift? Are we living in a place where we are united and experiencing the flow-on effect of God's grace on our lives? Because God's grace is always sufficient and God's grace is always enough. And we need to remind ourselves that when we are united, it is the Jew of Hermon falling on that dry desert place, causing it to flourish. We can get the band up this morning. Are you sitting under a flow on of truth? Are you sitting under a flow on of grace? Are you sitting under a flow on of mercy? Are you sitting under a flow on of peace? What are you attaching yourself to? I really want to hit that one up. Are you placing yourself under a flow of truth? Now, you, know, you need to listen to this. Everyone close your eyes for a moment. Consider your life right now. Are you, are you united with people that will tell you the truth 
Not just any truth, but God's truth. Truth that sets free. The Bible tells us, knowing the truth shall set you free. Are you sitting under a freedom-bringing truth? Are you sitting under a victory-bringing truth? Are you sitting under a breakthrough-giving truth? Or are you sitting under an oppressive truth? Are you sitting under a truth that weighs you down and tells you that you are not good enough? Are you sitting under a flow that is meant to be life-giving? Are you sitting under a flow that allows you to be fruitful, that allows you to be healthy? Perhaps some of you are right now discovering that there are some circles, some people maybe that you might need to leave because you're not experiencing the life that God has intended for you. You're not experiencing and hearing the truth that you are meant to be hearing. But right now, I want to speak to people who have never really invited God into their life, Jesus into their life, or those who might have but have forgotten or left that relationship behind. I want to lead you into a prayer. The Bible teaches us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that He is Lord, that day you will be saved. As part of that saving, I believe that that is a taking on of His yoke. His burden is easy. And that's what He wants for your life. So I'm going to say this prayer, and I'd like everyone to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I take on your yoke. I come to you. I don't want to do life alone anymore. I want to sit under your grace. So forgive me. Let your grace fall on me. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.